105.5 WHMP. And good afternoon, and thank you for joining us this afternoon. There's so much going on. I, uh, I'm very um, interested in uh, our first segment. We're going to be talking with the chair of the Greenfield School Committee, and we will be talking about uh, what we'll lead with uh, the top of the fold on the Greenfield Recorder yesterday, the headline being School C Steep Drop in Enrollment and then talks about the problems that flow from that and other situations facing the Greenfield schools and our children's future. But I wanted to just spend a minute um, talking about an article that I saw in The Guardian yesterday written by Kira Lerner. Uh, the heading is, um, Republicans have already filed dozens of bills to restrict voting in 2023, and it speaks specifically to these measures in Texas it would raise criminal penalties and create voting-focused law enforcement unit specifically to arrest people around what are perceived by these Republican lawmakers as voting infractions that hardly are that. These Republican lawmakers across the country have already filed dozens of bills that would restrict voting. We know about gerrymandering. We know about how many drop boxes. We know about restricting mail-in voting and even giving water to people who are standing in line in a hot southern day. In Georgia. In Georgia. But uh, it includes these proposals in Texas that is going to increase criminal penalties, as is happening in other jurisdictions. Dan, I know you read this. I did. What are your thoughts about this? Uh, it's terrifying um, that this is happening at the... Uh, local level here, specifically in Texas. I mean, it is happening in other states, but that article specifically was addressing Texas. I'm frightened because uh, this is one way to suppress voters, to suppress the will of the people. We believe we're a republic and a democracy, and it, and we need to be defending voters. But when you read that article and you talk about the state legislature in Texas creating a new police force that will investigate election crimes. Uh, so this is something that already exists in Florida. That needs to be stopped. I don't know how. I mean, you could try to stop it at the so state level. So I'm a level. college student. Yeah. I'm registered in Amherst, Massachusetts as a right. college student because I live there and I have my apartments there. And then I get a real job in New York City. And um, I, oh no, that's not, in Boston. Right. And I've moved and I've got a new address and I forget to, to actually change it, I go to vote, I forget, and they say it's an attempted fraud, fraud. and you're arrested. Yes. and, and it's, a jail, it's a felony. It's a jailable well, offense. So right now, it's a misdemeanor. So in that article, in they Texas, said- In not Texas, not in Massachusetts. Not in Massachusetts. Yeah. But in, in Texas, it's right now, it's a misdemeanor. In that article, it said, now they want to change it back to a level two felony, up to two years in jail. Can you imagine that? In jail for two years because of this vote. And now again, I think that article said there were about 15 people- that they found might have violated Texas laws. And again, the laws are becoming so complicated. So now it's like, you forget an address, you miss something on the form. Now they can, you know, it's getting to the point where um, this is, they've invented a issue that didn't exist, but they've been able to spread it out like this is a major concern and issue. And now we're seeing the consequences of it. The problem is the federal government should step up but probably doesn't have the votes or the power to do so, right? This is one of the things about the decentralized voting system is states get to make up these laws independently, right? There's a lot of states expanding same-day registration. Uh, they say that at the end of that article, yes, right? But, but and, and there's a lot of expansion going on, but the, the issue is because it's decentralized and not a national 
a sort of uh, voting system that a lot of these states, especially where the demographics are beginning to shift and there's been, look at Georgia. I mean, all my life, Georgia voted Republicans. Now it's starting to elect Democratic senators statewide. And so I, I think a lot of Republicans see this as a way of delaying that subtle change that's happening. Well, I've got a good idea. We can solve all this. All we need is for the House of Representatives, United States House, to just pass some voting rights laws. What do yeah. you think? It, it, they, they, they obviously won't do that now. The Republicans have the majority, so um, way to ruin my morning. Sorry, Buzz. I got tomorrow. The, I'm going to wake up. And no be more depressed. Buzz. Thanks to you. <laughs> All I, right, I'm going to go to a much happier subject. I'm going to go to yesterday's Greenfield Recorder. Above the fold, Mary Byrne writes: Schools see steep drop in enrollment. Officials say school choice is a major factor in the number of students departing the district between the 2021. In 22-23 school years, student enrollment in Greenfield schools dropped from 1,604 to 1,446. That's about a 10% drop in the last year. However, there were 2,146 students just 10 years ago. That means we've lost about a third of enrollment, and the schools are still trying to, uh, to meet the formula. I just wanted to give a very brief Synopsis. I am one of those people who hate it when we talk about school choice and I'm one of those people that believes that what we do is we gut our public schools by depriving um, them of a fair sampling of the community by keeping students in the public school where they reside. Now, <clears throat> when I first opined that and did some legal research about it, I found out something really interesting. First, I went all the way back here in New England in my town of Ashfield, we had nine schoolhouses. One was in Spruce Corner, because people didn't have cars, right? They walked or they rode their horse, so sometimes they, the, another schoolhouse would open up, and it was the parents who were paying the teachers personally. So they sort of arranged, made these arrangements so kids can go to a closer schoolhouse rather than the one in the actual neighborhood where they were. Fast forward to 1954, Brown versus School of Education. Now, all of a sudden, desegregation happens, and the only way to do that is to not have those African-American kids going to school in the communities in which they live. They had to be bused to other places. Those other places were supported by property taxation. So states had to come up with a voucher system to reimburse those districts that were accepting students from out of district. That still happens today, right? We still have those kinds of... Um, we have both vouchers and we have tuitions being paid, uh, depending on the school system. Um, then what happens is the United, the United States Supreme Court entertained a Cleveland case. It's a complicated case, too complicated for the time that we have. But um, what happened in Cleveland is they wanted to give students the opportunity to go to a, a, a different school because the school was so dreadful and there were transportation problems. The United States Supreme Court said that was constitutional for them to do that, and that opened the door to modern choice. In 2002, we had the Zellman case come before the United States Supreme Court, and for the first time, they allowed taxpayer dollars to be used for secular schools as opposed to non-secular schools. So for the last 21 years or so, we've had some taxpayers in paying public taxes for private schools, sometimes that are religious schools, um, because the parents don't want to pay tuition to send their kids to a religious school. And here we are in Greenfield, and we are so lucky to have the tireless Amy Porietti, um, just reelected as chair of the Greenfield School Committee. 
Hi, Amy. Hi, Buzz. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure, and I always learn from you. And vice versa. So let me learn from you. Tell me about what's going on in the schools and tell me why this decline in enrollment and uh, why we attributed to choice and to charter schools. Mm-hmm. We, we actually had a wonderful discussion at our last school committee meeting last Wednesday uh, as a full committee. The topic on the agenda was actually the review by the superintendent of our October enrollment figures. So the state does require us to actually pick a point in time, and it's October 1st, and we count and we report that uh, to them, and that is the basis for some funding, Um, and it's obviously something that's of great interest to someone like the mayor, who in Greenfield is a voting member, sits on the school committee of seven, and the, the discussion immediately was, as you've had Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner on the show many times. Wiedegartner Wednesdays, yep. That's right. Be on next Wednesday. Yes, good, good. And you know she is a bottom line uh, person. And the first comment out of the gate was 158. A drop of enrollment in one year is significant. 10%. It's huge. And um, the, the conversation... Uh, centered around that. And when I initially heard her comment, my immediate thought was school choice is the worst thing to happen to Massachusetts public schools. And that was when I got a chance. I, As chair, I, I let all the other members have their say to speak first. And there was a lot of um, reminding that we are a hold harmless district in in Greenfield. What does that mean? Um, I'm not going to be very eloquent about it, but we don't see a drop in our funding that is dollar for dollar with the enrollment drop. Is for for the the layperson that's basically what it means. Um, and. I was actually surprised, and we probably don't have time to go over this, but I was actually surprised that none of my school committee members brought up the new fair share amendment. Mm. Because Yay, bef- fair share amendment. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I think so. Um, and, you know, it'd be, it would be interesting to see if that does, in fact, help us out of this hole that's tied to enrollment. Um, School choice is a big piece of this. Uh, growing up in New York State, I, I just uh, was reminded when you were int- introducing the segment that uh, I lived in an urban-suburban district. We had probably about 20 students that came from uh, the city of Rochester into our district, which, which was Penfield, a, a suburban district. And I lived on... I actually lived... My parents lived in Rochester, but the way it works in New York is slightly different. And school districts often extend beyond the actual town or city boundaries to cover different areas. And so I lived right there, lived in the city, and the students would come on a bus with the students in my neighborhood. And of course, this was a predominantly white uh, district. And so this was just a fascinating dynamic for everyone. Um, and I, I hadn't really thought about, you know, the urban suburban since then, cause I've, I've 
I've been away from Rochester longer than I ever lived there. Um, so that's one piece of this that's kind of interesting that doesn't impact us now. I remember it just, uh, just uh, sort of jabs us into the conversation when I was in 11th grade, which is 1966, 67, uh, we, we had bust in for black kids in our all-white um, school uh-huh. um, in Lakeside High. That was, you know, that was 13, 14 years after Brown. Um, but they were, that's how they could do it. It was yeah. through vouchers that were paid by a court order that, uh, that black kids could go to school in white districts. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sure that is exactly how it worked where I was too. I didn't really ever think of the dynamics. Right. It was, um, it's a different kind of school choice. That's school choice with good reason. That's the court saying you have to you desegregate. You have to do it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Back in the good old days when courts spoke for justice, right? Um, yes. But we're talking about the choice that you're bemoaning, it sounds like. School choice that is uh, families in Massachusetts being able to decide that a neighboring district or maybe even a district on the other side of the state because of the family's unique situation is better for their child, and if that district has a spot, their child and their funding goes to that other district. And so you have this flow in and out of people and funds from district to district. And what I have seen as I've watched uh, this unfold over the 20-plus years I've lived in Massachusetts is especially in the rural areas and the regional districts, there is a cycle of um, a cycle of in and out. So one district will appear to be the better district for a few years, and they'll start to get this inflow of money and students, and other districts right around them will suffer. And it, it, it ebbs and flows. So Some, we're talking to Greenfield School Committee Chair Amy Perietti. Um, the consequences of this might not be readily apparent, but I, I think listeners know. So if, if you can't predict how much money, how, many, how much funding is going to come in because you don't know the enrollment until October 1st, now all of a sudden you have teachers that have already been hired, some of them tenured, there's union yes. contracts, there's all kinds of everything from who's serving lunches and to who's cleaning the bathrooms, right? Yes. And, coaching and whether you have enough students to put together a team or all those kinds of things, the vagaries just go on and on and on. And somebody's trying to manage this. Yes. And you have to also put this together with the demographic data, the demographic realities from our region. Um, One of the things I did bring up at that meeting was we have been predicted in Greenfield proper to be a declining population since I believe the 1990 census, and the projection has been that indefinitely we will not grow in population. Ironically, or happily, in the 2020 census, Greenfield gained, I believe it's 203 people. Um, And that may or may not translate into a change in those projections. But we also, in the past year, as a district commissioned a study um, from a the New England, I'm not going to remember their name. We call them NESDEC, but they're mm-hmm. a consulting firm. Mm-hmm. They work with districts. They're very knowledgeable about using your facilities correctly, projecting enrollment and what that means for your facilities. And they put all those things together for us. 
I think Roxanne Wiedegartner said it was the best $17,000 the schools had spent in a long time. Um, and they told us exactly what we already knew. Your enrollment's going to go down and down and down, and there's no indication it's going to come back. And we are the largest district by far in Franklin County, mm-hmm. and we are sitting and observing the Mohawk, or I'm sorry, Pioneer Regional and Gil Montague districts are having ongoing conversations of merging their two districts with a plan of that to be completed, I believe, within three to five years. Just so listeners know, this phenomenon of, um, of the changing demographic resulting in drops in enrollment, it's not just Greenfield. It's no. throughout, the, it's actually throughout the Northeast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're aging we don't have yeah. many kids coming in, and and people are like me. They're you know, more in Ashfield, my town. We're projecting in the next five years, fifty percent of the population will be over the age of sixty, which is oh wow, that's huge. Yeah, we're and not your we're district, not making babies. And our district, when my both my kids graduated from Mohawk Trail Regional High School, mm-hmm. um, and when my daughter graduated, I don't remember with my son. There were seven hundred and fifty students in that Mohawk High School, uh, wow. no, middle school and high school, mm-hmm. maybe. And um, now there's something like 350. It's half. It's half, yeah. Um, and we, too, have these choice and voucher problems. You know, everyone's yeah. got tech schools that people can go to. It's, it's Well, a and the tech school piece is another piece that we should talk about because um, there is, there is a straying from their mission as far as the tech schools in Massachusetts. So. And I do want to talk more with... Amy Perietti, the chair of the Greenfield School Committee, about tech schools and the other problems facing Greenfield and any windows of hope. We'll be back with Amy right after these messages. Stay with us. Are you up to date on the call for reparations in Northampton and Amherst? Please join us when we speak with Sarah Weinberger and John Berkowitz. They are on the Northampton Reparations Committee, and they will be our guests Thursday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. We believe in the boundless potential of young people. At Junior Achievement of Western Massachusetts, it inspires our work to prepare Western Massachusetts youth for real-world career and financial success. We offer in-school financial literacy and career exploration programs and after-school young entrepreneur initiatives. JA is committed to the future of youth throughout Western Massachusetts. To learn more about Junior Achievement or to participate as a school, volunteer, or supporter, visit jawm.org. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. 
Comedy as a Weapon presents Comedy for a Cause, the Teacher's Night Out Edition, Saturday, January 21st at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Join comedians like Timothy Lovett, Kim DeShields, Maya Mannion, and nationally recognized star Hank Denson. Denson is open for comedy superstars like Jamie Foxx, Cedric the Entertainer, Amy Schumer, and Rodney Perry. Comedy Cause for the Teacher's Night Out Edition at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Doors open at 7.30 p.m., tickets cost $25, and will benefit the Literacy Project. Visit ComedyWeapon.com for more information. For complete contest rules for WHMP, please visit WHMP's website at WHMP.com and click on the Contest and Rules tab. A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford, Sundays at noon, 101.5, 1,400-and-1240-WHMP. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with my friend and former colleague, Amy Proietti, the uh, chair of the Greenfield School Committee. And it just dawned on me, speaking of children, once I was speaking at the Greenfield Public Library, and this very precocious young lady asked me a few civil rights questions that were like so dead on. She was 11 or 12 years old. And I She's said, seventeen Amy, now. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> She's she, seventeen. She young works woman at now. she works at a local bookstore, a local independent bookstore. She has her own dr- car and license, and is uh, considering a bunch of very expensive private liberal arts colleges next year. So I just eat ramen noodles now. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Well, somebody's enrollment is going to increase by right? one anyway. <laughs> So let's going back. Let's go back. We were we were talking um, before about some of the other problems that plague uh, the school system, and you were talking about um, the need to sponsor, pay for students going to vocational schools. Mm-hmm. The district has the obligation to pay that tuition. Yeah, it's not school choice necessarily. It's it's um, intended. the The mission for tech schools, technical vocational schools, is to provide. Um, an educational pathway for students who are uh, showing inclinations towards uh, the mechanical and vocational, the aptitudes for those things. Um, Which is not in itself a bad thing. It's a good thing. Not at all. And in fact, if you look specifically at Franklin County's technical school, it is high-quality education. They have wonderful resources. They are bursting at the seams. Um, and it, there is, there has been over probably the past decade or two, this transition to the technical vocational route also being a route that gets you to college. And that's, a, that is, you know, when you look at, at, at public education long-term, that is a new twist. And one thing I reminded the mayor of during our discussion at our school committee meeting last week, uh, Mayor Rita Gartner, was that, uh, Right before, it was actually February of 2020, she showed me a draft of a letter she was planning to sign on to that was from mayors uh, statewide uh, asking for uh, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education and the technical schools statewide to revisit their mission and really focus on educating students that um, needed the vocations and aptitudes that they were presenting. 
and you know gently saying maybe not the college bound yeah, yeah. um and that obviously got derailed by the pandemic. And um, we we briefly talked about having that um, come back. And, and I plan to follow up with the mayor and see if there is a, a plan with the folks who were originally a part of that discussion to move it forward. And in the few minutes we have left, Amy, um, can, can you talk about charter schools and the impact that charter schools play in what your school committee does and deals with. Sure. So charter schools also take the student and the money when a student has is secures a space in the charter school. Um, we have one in Greenfield that does take, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it's a, it's a few dozen school kids from each grade, um, which is significant in Greenfield. And um, it exists, it is a public school but it does exist with di- very different standards, guidelines. They're not under the same guidelines from DESE that we are. Um, and and there are admissions uh, lotteries and the like there, right? That's right. There are admission lotteries. And there's also, I believe, there's a path for siblings that's outside of that admission lottery. So there's a couple of different paths, at least, that a student could get in there. Uh, we also And a lot of paths that keep a student from going there, Right. That is a discussion for another day. Okay. Um, having another child in my house, you know, I also have a son who's significantly special needs. Um, and there's always discussions about, is it truly open to students that need one-on-one aids, IEPs, behavioral plans, things like that. The kinds of things that our public schools are required Required to, to provide. That's correct. That's correct. Um, so, you know, that is another piece that's significant. And it also, we do have another charter school in the area that siphons off some of our uh, students, and that's the Chinese Immersion Charter School. Um, and there's a small, small impact from those virtual charter schools. There are two, one of which started in Greenfield. And I think that history there of having a charter school, uh, two charter schools, one of them, the virtual one, be right in Greenfield. It is tied in a way to 25 years ago, Greenfield was hemorrhaging students when school choice first kind of ramped up. And what we actually, what what helped us, we had a superintendent who came in who focused almost exclusively on marketing different programs that would bring students back. We had, you may remember, Greenfield had the Math and Science Academy mm-hmm. for middle school. We had the eighth grade academy that was housed in a special place in the high school. And so we quickly became marketing savvy of how to get our students back. And there was a recovery under Superintendent Hollins. Well, in the two, mon- two minutes we have um, remaining... What do you see as the immediate future for the school committee? What are you going to do to try to address some of these problems? So I am, uh, I see myself as as an advocate that uh, looks to our partners to help us. And there's no better partner than Senator Joe Comerford, mm. uh, who covers our district. And I've already made an appointment actually next week to speak to her staff about some of these issues. Um, one thing that comes to mind regularly is, how can we collaborate with and support districts, the regional districts, our neighboring districts? Um, are there ways? And in fact, uh, our superintendent has talked about 
ideas that have come from the greater group of superintendents in the area talking about perhaps creating pockets of special needs um, or various special needs programs at different schools to help with being able to educate our students who um, can't fit in a, in a, a mainstream program be able to be educated still somewhere in the area with known entities and you know having a collaboration that helps us to meet the needs of all students across multiple districts may be where we're headed. Um, so the superintendents are talking about it. I feel like as an elected school committee member, I should be talking with our other elected officials, particularly Joe, who has such knowledge of the systems and how the money flows. Well, in fact, uh, Joe works closely. The Real Rural School Initiative was spearheaded by Natalie Blay and and Adam Hines. And Adam Hines' successor, Paul Mark, is 100% on board. Yes. Mindy Dom from... Of course. She, of course, And I know all of these folks, yes. Lindsay Sabadosa as well. I think we have... We're We're so so lucky. We are so lucky. And for officials like you who are working tirelessly to secure a future for us through our children, I think that it's, it's, it's great that we're, we're lucky to have people like them and people like you that Thank are working to, um, to keep our schools vibrant and, um, and a significant part of our community over, despite these hurdles that you unfortunately have to surmount all the time. But um, I want to thank you so much, Amy. I, I missed having you on thank the show. Thank you, Buzz. It's been and, great to be back. Well, good, because I'll be badgering you soon in the very near awesome. future. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Thank okay, you. Okay, I am too. That's Amy Proietti, uh, the Greenfield School Committee Chair. We are going to be back. There's an interesting thing afoot, and I think it's coming from New Orleans with Nan Parati. I think it's Nan Parati. We'll be back with Nan right after these messages. Stay with us. Is the afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The elementary school building committee in Amherst is projecting the new school could cost over $100 million. Cost estimates have risen by nearly $10 million since the last estimates were given in June. The Gazette reports the increases are forcing the committee to consider ways to cut costs. Any cost-saving measures and reductions would have to be made in the coming weeks as the building committee anticipates voting on February 17th to submit its final design to the Massachusetts School Building Authority. Potential cost-cutting measures include limiting the size of the parking lot, eliminating a basketball court, and opting for less expensive materials on the building's interior. Racially charged graffiti and social media posts in 2017 at East Hampton High School culminated in the arrest of three students of color after a fight. The Attorney General's office conducted an investigation that found that deep inequities existed between how students of color and white students were treated by peers and faculty at the high school. East Hampton Mayor Nicola Chappelle said the situation led to the city to begin a diversity and inclusion education training citywide. We've done a lot of soul searching, a lot of focus groups, a lot of workshops and trainings, and now we're putting it into action. The Department of Justice also assessed the school after the racist incidents, and their findings led to the creation of an internal center for diversity and inclusion at the high school. And the median sales growth for single-family homes and condos in Massachusetts is starting to fall. 22 News reports some experts saying the housing market is cooling because of inflation as well as the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. 
Mostly cloudy this afternoon and breezy, a high of 44 to 48. Variable clouds tonight, 26 to 32. Mostly cloudy on Thursday, a brief wintry mix changing to rain in the afternoon, a high of 36 to 40. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hey, it's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. NerdWallet can help you make a smart decision by comparing top financial products side-by-side side to find the right one for you. NerdWallet, the smartest decision for all of your financial decisions. Hey, midweek skiing's easy to enjoy and seasonable temps on the well-groomed trails, especially with more new terrain opening thanks to all the recent snowmaking. At Berkshire East, two dozen runs now, 17 for ski butternuts over three-quarters of their trails, and catamount skiing nearly two dozen now. Over at Wachusett, they've got about two dozen open. They're skiing till 9.30, seven nights a week. Ski sundown in Connecticut with action till 10 every night. They're skiing about 90% of their trails. Ski and ride like a beast at Vermont's biggest icon pass destination this winter. Killington Resort is home to the longest season in the east and the all-new K1 Lodge. Plan a visit today at killington.com. Hey, you can check out some more details over at snowcountry.com. I'm Jason Dean. One thing I like about working at ServiceNet is that in addition to being a manager, I can still be a clinician. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. For people working private practice who want to also still have a commitment to community mental health, working at ServiceNet gives them the opportunity to do both at the same time. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. Hello everyone, Gordon Oliver here. So let's face it, our day-to-day -day lives always involve money, right? For many of us, money is always top of mind, but here at the Cambridge Connection, we want to help you reverse that trend. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP, my co-pilot Tina Marie and I bring you a variety of amazing experts who can help you navigate that daily financial maze of life and guide you to a better relationship with your money. This week, join Ron Foisy, coach at yourcollegefundingcoach.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back to the Afternoon Buzz. Thank you for joining us. For those who are just joining us, thank you for staying with us. For those who have been with us, and that sound that you're about to hear is the first time in broadcast history we're going to hear somebody broadcasting from a closet in New Orleans. <laughs> Hello, Nan Parati. Oh, how are you guys in your big studio? Oh, it's very comfortable here. And um, so I just have to ask, what's what's your interesting thing of the week? Uh, my interesting thing of the week is is got so many different levels, which is why I'm excited about it and really interested to hear from you, Buzz, and from you, Amy, about what your thoughts are on this whole thing. So uh, I'm in New Orleans. So I'm working on the Jazz Fest. I came down three weeks ago, and I'm staying in a house uptown in a very nice neighborhood. The other morning, I woke up, went outside to find out that my truck, and I have a, I have a, a red pickup truck that I use when I'm working festivals around the country, and the, the window, the, the, the passenger window had been smashed. Somebody had gone in, not even unlocked the door, just crawled in, smashed the window, crawled in, pulled up the console, went through everything, threw everything out of the console, left that open, jumped back out, and then disappeared. And so when I saw this, I called the police. They came. It took them a long time, but they got there and said, yep, this is what is going on. And I had been reading, because I read the paper in New Orleans, even if I'm out of town, that crime in New Orleans has gone way up, and it's mostly kids. It's mostly kids. They arrested a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old the other day 
for and and charged them with 62 break-ins um, in New Orleans, and it's been just a really bad thing. So I was like, darn it, <laughs> I didn't expect this, but okay. And it also turned out they had 35 break-ins that night in that neighborhood. And like I said, this is a nice neighborhood near Tulane University, um, and so and the police said. Why I said, why my truck, do you think? And they said, because they're looking for guns. And they steal cars and then go through trucks to find guns and then use the guns in the cars for more crimes. So I said, darn it. And so I called my insurance company, got everything taken care of, and that was cool. Yesterday, I went to the post office and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I go into the post office. I'm in there 15 minutes. I come back out, and I look at my truck, and it has happened again within the same week. Oh, my. Two times. Yes, twice in one week. My window has been smashed. This time it was the driver's side. And then this is in the middle of the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, in a very public parking lot at the post office. People are coming and going. There's a park right across the street. People are out there. They're walking down the sidewalk. And I, I couldn't believe it. In fact, two people came up to me and said, what happened? And I said, I don't know. And they had been, and they said, I saw you go in the post office. I saw you come out. What happened? I don't know. And so called the police again. They came again and said that most likely what the perpetrator had done this time, and there had been several other in the neighborhood that afternoon too, um, was probably pulled like a van up or a truck right beside my truck. Again, smashed the window, jumped into the window, pulled the console up, ran through everything, threw everything all over the truck, didn't take anything either time, jumped back out when they didn't find a gun or money, and then took off really, really fast. So I'm just bewildered, just like two times a week. It's expensive <laughs> to keep replacing your, your window. And, and this is a city, of course, I love. I, you know, I, I feel like I grew up here. I came here when I was about 20 years old, lived here until Hurricane Katrina. It's my, you know, it's my place, and my people are turning against me, but it's these kids, and it really is kids, which is really, really interesting. So I'm standing there. I'm waiting for the police. And as I'm waiting for the police, I'm on the phone with the insurance company, all that stuff. And I'm just, like I say, bewildered. And then I hear somebody said, well, there's Nan Peretti. And I'll have, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm not really here. You know, I don't have really time to talk to people. And the car <clears throat> goes by me, pulls up in the parking lot of the post office. A person gets out and says, oh, my God, what happened? And I look at her. And it is Mary Quigley from Ashfield, Massachusetts. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> I knew she was down in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah, she's here visiting her son, but completely out of the blue. She just happens to pass by, she and her friend. They, you know, we hug, and I, she said, what happened? I told her. And then right then the police pull up, and then and then, and then uh, Mary and her friend, Katie, completely cleaned out the entire, all the glass. They did the whole thing for me, oh. which was just, just miraculous. That sounds like Mary. Wow. Listen, I don't know if you know this, but her brother, who lives down there, is Bill Quigley. He was the former litigation director for the Center for Constitutional Rights. He is an incredible <laughs> lawyer and, and uh, one of my heroes. Um, but so, Nan, so we, we, here's what we know. Actually, thanks to you, uh-huh. we had previously uh-huh. had a conversation on air with the New Orleans Parish District Attorney exactly. Jason Williams, who exactly. is a very progressive um, district attorney. But uh, last year, for those who don't know, the Uniform Crime Reports and uh, the National Incident-Based uh, Reporting Survey of the uh, Bureau of Justice Statistics from the FBI uh, had New Orleans as the number one city for murders in the country. That is... Yes the worst in exactly. the country. Exactly. Also for carjacking, that is for people ha- mm-hmm. jumping in and forcing you, uh, usually with a weapon involved, to mm-hmm. give them your car or to drive them somewhere. 
um, and property. Oh, you usually take the car. Yeah. Me. Uh huh. Is, here's my here's my question for you, Nan, because you are um, one of the uh, at, at, in current parlance, you you're an anti-racist. That is that you mm -hmm. spent your entire life working on behalf of breaking down racial barriers and recognizing the consequence of racism. Mm -hmm. So here you're in a city where racism runs supreme and where mm -hmm. we have um, people compartmentalized according to their race and privilege running to the white neighborhoods and the others suffer. So this, I think most criminologists would point to this phenomenon that you suffered from mm -hmm. and say poverty is at the, at the source of it, right? Do you have a comment now that you're victimized by it? Absolutely. It, it was... Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I, for, for people who don't know anything about my, my background, I lived for 20 years in an all-black neighborhood here in New Orleans, and I was the only white person essentially in the neighborhood, and I got very, very involved in the neighborhood with the kids. And, I, and this is what is so interesting to me. So what I saw back in the 80s and 90s were these kids who were being raised by parents who really didn't have anything. They came out of poverty for the most part. A lot of them were very deeply into drugs. They, at that point, weren't really raising their kids as much and, uh, and uh, as much as their parents were raising. So the grandparents were raising the kids because the parents just had too much. They couldn't. They didn't know how to handle the whole thing. So the, the grandparents were raising these kids. And now we're looking at this 20 years later and 30 years later in some cases. And here's where we're at with, with the grandparents have died off. And nobody's raising these kids. We're a couple generations even down because a lot of these kids have children very early with people not – no, they're not being raised. And there's no future. I remember years ago when I lived in the Treme talking to a 12-year-old kid, and I was being real white one day, and I said, all these people sitting around not working, they need to be out doing something. He said, what you want them to do? And I said, get a job. He said, what you want them to do? And none of them ever been trained to do anything, and, the, and this is what really got me. He said, the biggest day, the most important thing that's ever going to happen to any of these people, and this is a 12-year-old child telling me this, is the day they die and get their picture on a T-shirt. Because in, t in New Orleans, it's a big deal. In a lot of the neighborhoods, you get your picture on a T-shirt after you die. And he said, that's going to be the biggest thing that ever happens to them is getting their picture on a T-shirt. Now, what do you want them to do? Which, which is why the years in Living Treme were just so amazing. All the stuff I learned, that kind of thing. And so that's what we have now. We have these kids who have absolutely no future whatsoever. Like I said, we've got the 13-year-old and the 15-year-old arrested for breaking in 62 different cars and houses. And this is the problem. And then yesterday, so I, um, so Mary quickly comes and helps me clean up, which was wonderful. And then the police come, and I talked to him for a while and had a fascinating conversation with him about this whole thing. And he was a – he moved to New Orleans when he was about 10 years old. I asked him if he could be on the show, and he said, no, we're not allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but he ended up talking to me for quite a while. And um, – he talked about growing up, and he grew up in the Desire Housing Project, which is very, very, very low income um, to parents who have – they had lived in New York, but they had grown up here. So he grew up here, watched his cousins get in trouble, watched everybody he knew get in trouble, get arrested constantly, and thought, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And he became a waiter and, 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 and minded, as they say, minded his own business and went about doing an African-American kid Growing up, joined the service when he was about 20, loved the service because it gave him real direction. It gave him promise. It gave him hope. It gave him benefits later on. It gave him a serious brotherhood that he just loved that kept out of trouble. So that was really important to him. And we talked about all this um, 
while we were standing, you know, and he was doing the whole thing, and he was trying to get somebody to come and do fingerprints. But at the same time, they are so overwhelmed. Everybody I've talked to was was flabbergasted that the police actually showed up because they really do anymore. They can't. There's just so much going on. So he's telling me about his life. And the thing that was so interesting to me was I said, what do you think changed? What happened? Why are we here now? Where these kids, you know, what, what, what did this? And he said, he said, it all changed when we stopped spanking kids. It all changed when we turned everything into timeout. And now me, you see me, I'm the liberal person. I'm like, oh, no, 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 absolutely. No, we cannot spank kids. We can't. And he goes, that's what changed when there were no consequences. There was never, he said, my, my mom, you know, she didn't spare the rod. She spanked me. And I learned, I grew up learning the difference between right and wrong. There was a consequence. And I'm fighting this as he's telling me this. I'm going, no, no, I cannot believe this. Well, I, I have to interrupt you. You're there in the closet in New Orleans, but Dan is here in the studio. I just want to say, if you ever thought about sending the officer Benny Flores's episode, both of them who've been on your show, I'd be like, have that conversation because he learned that himself, and now he's he's changing for a more positive uh, outlook for his daughter. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. With all due deference to, I'm sure that well-meaning and and sounds like very accomplished a police officer in New Orleans uh-huh. who bootstrapped himself out of that situation that we're all. Uh, so concerned about. Uh, there, there's a wonderful sociologist by the name of Robert Merton, and he talks about exactly this phenomenon. He breaks down people who are born into these uh, lack of privilege and victims of racism kind of situations, and he breaks them down into five categories. We don't have time to go over them, but one of them, uh, he talks about conformity, what makes people conform to conventional things like that police officer obviously adopted. But he also talks about innovators. That is, those mm-hmm. people who have absolutely no means of even eating tonight if they don't innovate. Mm-hmm. Innovation is taking tires and selling them. Innovation, you know, exactly. violent crime is another thing, but Merton really lays out how sometimes um, it's a heroic thing, and, and sometimes it's a transference. That is um, what, I, what we all want. We want to have a family. Well, a gang becomes your family. We want people to mm-hmm. respect us. Well, uh, respect comes at the end of a gun. Watch the fear in your eyes, and I translate that exactly. as respect. So all of those are, I think, really interesting and slightly more complex than uh, spare the rod. But um, right. Well, I kind of think right. of it as basic needs. If we're not meeting uh-huh. basic needs for people, housing first and you know, shelter and clothing I'm sorry, food and clothing come next. Mm-hmm. It's revolutionary mm-hmm. when families have what they need. I sound like the socialist that I am, but it makes, a, it makes a big difference. I see it at the community college level where I work at GCC. When we help students and their families meet their basic needs, they can be more successful in, with meeting their goals. It's as simple as that. Exactly. And fulfilling their dreams. Exactly. We're going to come back with Nan Parati. Thank you, Amy Proietti. Please stay with us. We're going to be back right after these messages. Stay with us. This is an important conversation. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store. 
full-value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 Store, open right now at whmp.com. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. I chose community mental health to serve populations that are often underserved. Megan is a therapist at ServiceNet. One core value at ServiceNet is to continue to learn, to really strive for the most effective treatment. If you're looking for a strong sense of community and collaboration, come to ServiceNet. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. You want the very best opportunities for your child. Given the amount of time children spend in school each day, you want your child to be inspired, to be engaged, to love going to school. At Bement, each student experiences this every day. The Bement School in Deerfield is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. Kindergarten through ninth grade, learning from each other in the classroom, rooting for each other on the athletic field, and celebrating each other on the stage. We are local, we are global, and our differences make us stronger. We interact face-to-face, -face, share meals together every day, and open doors for one another. The true essence of your child's time at Bement is preparing for a life of integrity, of significance, of joy. Financial aid and transportation are available to help make a Bement school education possible. I'm Kim Laughlin, Director of Admission. Please contact me or visit our website. Bement will be the best investment you make in your child's future. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the afternoon buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And live, surrounded by shirts and pants and overcoats in a closet in New Orleans, it's Nan Parati. <laughs> and I want to say the reason I'm in this closet is because I am in a very, very cool production studio right now where we're working on the Jazz Fest, and this is the quietest place in the whole place. And so if you wanted, didn't want to hear all the drills and everything else going on, that's why I'm in the closet, not because I'm scared. <laughs> I realize I should probably say that out loud. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll announce when Nan comes out of the closet. <laughs> yes. So you were talking about this, this dreadful experience of having your car vandalized twice, um, more yes. than vandalized. It was, it was a breaking and entering. Right, and twice within one week. And this, that's the other thing about this is now I'm looking forward to going, I can't afford to do this every couple of days. And I'm really serious. And I'm wondering, I've even thought about potentially – Going to North Carolina, which is where my sister lives, maybe buying another car. And I don't can't Nan, afford you, another car right no, now. No, 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 no. Yeah. You have insurance for this. You have Massachusetts insurance? 
I do, but also I've also been warned that my rates are going to start going up prohibitively if I keep calling in every few days saying, "Hey, guess what? It happened again." Well, that is true. So far, they've yeah, they've covered it. They've covered it both times so far. They're fine, but. I don't know what happens at time number three, time number four, and I don't know that it will happen again. But the fact that it happened twice in eight days makes me think I mean, I've only been here three weeks. <laughs> so it makes me a little bit nervous, you know. Yeah, sure. But I thought about maybe getting a second car, leaving my other my truck in in uh, North Carolina, driving back down in a little. Well, we only we only have one minute left. What's what would you like to leave listeners with? Well, I'm just I'm gosh, one minute, darn. I'm just so fascinated by this whole idea of of what what do we do? Where do we go? How do we we've got a whole generation of kids that what are we going to do? How do we help them become productive citizens? And I mean, there's so much to talk about. Let's I don't even know, but there's just so much to go with here. And that's I'm what curious, I Nan, if you uh-huh. know yeah. what happened to the 12 year old boy who told you about the T-shirts. He's gone. He died. He was killed by a cop back in um, 2001. So that's, I mean, that's such an interesting uh, uh, symbol of so many of the things that are, are, uh, feel like no way out of those neighborhoods. For people who, who might not know this and we're going to have to cut out, but in 1992, we had the apex of both property and violent crime in the United States. I could give you statistics, but we don't have time. It mm-hmm. steadily decreased until about 2013, 2014. It plateaued and then started to increase in 2017. Um, mm-hmm. And crime right now is not quite where it was in 1992, but it's getting there. And, and that's murder and non-negligent homicide mm-hmm. as well as the property crime that Nan has suffered. I'm so sorry to hear about that, Nan, but we have to go. Nan Parati's yeah. interesting thing of the week is... She's victimized by the same crime that's plaguing so many cities, especially in New Orleans. Amy Parietti, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Greenfield School Committee, good luck with your work, and join us tomorrow for the Afternoon Buzz. We'll be here. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.